I've reached out to people on LinkedIn that I don't know and just been like, hey, I feel like you're talking to a similar audience. I would love to just know a little bit about have you tried this tool? Like what's been your experience? And people are usually more than willing to either complain (laughs) or champion, (laughs) which is really helpful. Hey, it's Dan McGaw here. I'm a tech stack nerd and the CEO of the leading tech stack agency, McGaw.io. Each week I speak to executives to find out the stack they're using to drive revenue and make their goals a reality. This week, I've got Jane Stetzik, the SVP of marketing at Mighty Networks. Mighty Networks is a tool that helps creators and brands build communities. In an earlier episode of the podcast with Roland Smart, he had brought up how he couldn't find an amazing community tool. So I invited Jane to the podcast so we can learn more about their community product. If you're interested in hearing that interview with Roland Smart, who's the CMO of Product School, just go back a few weeks and you can learn more about how he talked about building the foundation of his stack as well. Jane loves to keep learning about new tools. That means that she's not afraid to ask her colleagues or competitors about what's working or what's not. In line with that love for information, it was interesting to find out that Jane actually is a trained librarian, but fell in love with marketing early in her career. Going from a librarian to marketing, I mean, how rad is that? Today, we get to do the learning though. Jane joins us to share the tools she's using to build Mighty Networks. She's also gonna tell us about her focus on speed to learning and the experimentation framework that she's using to drive learnings and conversions. Let's get into it. I'm Jane Stetzik. I am the SVP of marketing at Mighty Networks, and I am just passionate about entrepreneurs and community. Can you help us understand like what is Mighty Network and how does it work and like what is the whole company about? Yeah, so Mighty Networks is a software platform. So anybody can come and start a community, a paid community, membership, online course, and make a business out of bringing people together. So it's hard to compare it to other tools because it really was, when it started, one of the first things that allowed you to do that. But if you think about where people are coming from, they may be coming from, hey, I have a Facebook group, but I want to own my members and I want to actually like build a real community that's not on social media and that doesn't have an algorithm in it where like they're not even seeing my stuff. And they may have that. They may also have a course on a platform like Kajabi or Teachable or Thinkific where they're like, I have like really valuable content and I'm able to charge for it. But what I see from my students is they want to learn together. They want to be in the same place together. So Mighty really created this category around this community platform that lets you do that and build a business. And I'm very passionate about it. And I love talking to our customers. And I spent a lot of time in our own customer community because of that. I love that. And talking to your customers, you know, I hate to say it, but many marketers never talk to their customers. It's all just assumptions and their ego of what they want to do. Uh, So I love the fact that you're actually talking to your communities who are like, so it sounds like you had mentioned there's like entrepreneurs and course makers. So I like, as an example, I have an online course. So it sounds like I could use my online course, start a community for the people that take my course so they can help each other. Is that the primary like ICP is kind of like course providers or is there like big mega companies that are using the platform well? Help me understand kind of the ICP. Yeah, for sure. It varies depending on the tier of the software you're using, right? So we have like a lot of SaaS softwares, several levels. We have a community plan, we have a business plan, and we have what we call Mighty Pro. And the unlock for Mighty Pro is that you get your own branded apps. So you could say, hey, go to the app store, 
download the Dan app, like search Dan app and download it. And you would basically have your own white label app with your courses in it, your community. You don't need a separate course platform. So for people who are interested in that level, typically they're making revenue, right? They have a business. Their brand is super important to them. Very, very interesting business, very interesting model. And it's a brand new category in a lot of cases, right? Community is something I think in many cases people have taken for granted. I've attempted to launch community when I was the uh, head of marketing at a company called Code School, um, online education platform, and we tried to use Discuss to create our community and it and it flopped, right? It, was, it just wasn't a great community product, uh, in my opinion. Um, so I've definitely been a part of this before and been like, that didn't work. So totally understand the woes there. In your business though, like it, it's, let's talk about your KPIs as an example, your team, I guess like, how are you measured towards success? Like what are the KPIs and goals that you're tracking back to? And then your boss is saying like, Hey, we've got to hit that number. Yeah. I mean, like most SaaS businesses, we look at ARR, annual revenue run rate, right? That's super important for us. So when I think about the one number, I would say that's it. As a marketer, you know, I'm looking at a couple puzzle pieces that kind of ladder up to that. So obviously I'm watching the funnel, right? How many people are we bringing in to the top of it? How many email subscribers are we getting? How many are starting a free trial? And then how many are converting into a paid plan? You know, and I also have a marketer on my team who's really focused on Mighty Pro and the sales funnel, MQLs, SQLs, and then ultimately opportunities closed. I'd say more uniquely perhaps to like our situation, I'm also looking at a lot of metrics related to our own community, Mighty community, which is for people who are using Mighty Networks or just curious about how do I do this? How do I build a community? How do I build a membership? How do I build a course? So I'm looking at active members there, how many people are are heading into the community each month with new members, and are they engaging with our, our free programming, our events, or also our, our paid programming. So part of that ARR number is actually made up from courses we sell and teach about how to build a successful community. So you, you talked about you have your own online course and you have your own online community. Is it almost as if you're trying to create your own en- enterprise customers? And so like, hey, let's get them in in the freemium thing. Maybe they use the smaller plan. And then we have an education process that they pay for that then helps them get from, hey, I'm just a $99 tier, potentially to that enterprise level. Is that kind of the way the strategy works? Yeah, you are reading my mind. And we have a lot more to think about and that we're currently building around that value journey. But essentially, it kind of fell into our lap just from looking at the data because we found that people in the community were more likely to actually purchase you know, the community plan or the business plan. And then we also know that people on the business plan are a great source of sales for Mighty Pro because they see success. They're maybe doing, you know, 300,000, 500,000 in revenue through the business plan. And they're like, I kind of want my own apps to do this. Like, I kind of want to like elevate my brand with that. And I want more services. I want more strategy help. So it's definitely a pipeline. And where we want to explore and do more is building in like more education and educational offers at every step of that value journey, because we think there is a lot of things we can do that will help our customers and also just strengthen our business. I think that's awesome. I was in a uh, interviewed Spud Rule, who is the uh, director of marketing at ClickBank, and they have a very, very similar model uh, to try to make sure that they can always have more affiliates entering their marketplace. They have an online course, they have an online community. Maybe I don't know if they're using your product, but it does help them get more affiliates into their product. And their whole point is to try to get people up that value chain, which I think is a, a really, really good 
uh, strategy, and it sounds like you're using it as well. What are like, so we talked a little bit about ARR. You have these funnel, top of funnel metrics that you're tracking back to leads, free trials. And then also on the MQL, you have your MQL sales funnel. I mean, what are your top priorities or top projects right now? What are you that are helping you hit those KPIs and those goals to reach your ARR goal? Yeah, for sure. I mean, something that is constantly a top project for us is what are the experiments we're running? Like, what are we trying to learn? We use this principle at Mighty called the OODA loop, which is observe, orient, decide, act, and then it feeds into everything else, right? And it really has just changed how we think. So sometimes the result that we're looking for is not necessarily, you know, a traditional KPI, but it's speed to learning. How quickly can we learn? Like, how quickly can we learn what works here? Um, so experimentation, and we use a tool called StatSig for a lot of it, has been really helpful. Right now, one of our priorities is how can we get more education in the product itself? And we've seen some big wins there. Like, we use StatSig to prove that if we're able to inject some of the guides and resources we're doing in Mighty Community actually into like the product onboarding flow, we see way more people have success with Mighty because the learning is right next to the product features, right? Like they don't have to go to two places to understand not only how to use the product functionally, right? Like how to use a feature, but also the strategy and insights we have around how to run a community. Having that in the product has been a game changer. So for priorities, again, going back to education first, software second, it's how do we get more education to more people more quickly? I want to stop to highlight the OODA loop Jane is talking about. It's a framework that was created by Colonel John Boyd in the U.S. Air Force. Here's a brief overview on how it works from Tools Hero, a self-development platform. The OODA loop is a decision-making tool and process that stands for Observe, Orient, Decide, and Act. It's a cyclical model that allows you to continuously adapt to changing circumstances and use this to draw on your strengths. Objective is that a potential opponent does not get to complete the loop as well and keeps running behind. The OODA loop was developed by John Boyd, based on his experiences as a fighter pilot during the Korean War and later as an instructor. In aerial combat, split-second decisions are crucial, but even in today's fast-paced world, if you do not change with the times, chances are that you will go under. Therefore, the OODA principles are applicable in the corporate world too. As a framework, the OODA loop can be implemented in a lot of different situations. For Jane, it's helping her team find the best and most efficient ways to educate their customers, which is a huge priority for them. To make the OODA framework work, she utilizes StatSig for experimentation. StatSig is a powerful tool that can start small with a simple A-B test and get more advanced as your needs progress. For Jane, she's observing how one test results come in using StatSig, orients her next test idea based on those observations, you know, the learning, and then she decides on the next test to run using StatSig and put that experimentation into action. Once that test has started to run, she starts the process by observing the test results in StatSig, orienting her test again, and then you get what I mean by following this whole OODA loop concept. The OODA loop is a great framework for your team to use when experimenting. If you want to take the next step in learning how to prioritize all of your observations and make the decision stage easier, visit viceframework.com and learn how to double your conversion rates using that framework on top of the OODA loop. Jane also told us a lot more about their onboarding process and the tool she's using, so let's get back to her. When you talk about education in the product and you're running these experiments, are you leveraging a product like AppQs or something that's walking people through, like is onboarding, or is it just like take our damn course? 
Yeah, no, we, we've looked at app queues, which seems really cool. Maybe we can have another discussion about that. Um, but we actually have a squad. Um, we use a squad model for our engineering and product teams. And we have a squad that's focused on what we call the host funnel. So people who use Mighty Networks, we call them hosts because it's like you're hosting a fantastic dinner party, bringing your community together. The host funnel squad is building a lot of these experiments in-house. We're measuring them through StatSig, but for the education, it's not just that we're like by our course. Of course, we promote it in product because we think it's really helpful, but we actually have a lot of free resources. So it's really just, we have this thing called the Mighty Checklist, right? So when you first get dropped into a new platform, it's like, what do I do? What do I do first? So we have a checklist that that walks you through it. And for a while, it was really product focus, focused. It was like, go here, toggle this, turn this on, set up this feature, all great stuff that is helpful. But with this recent experiment, we found that if we actually say, hey, use this feature, here's how you use it to the fullest extent. And the guide or the resource is right there. A great specific example is we have a feature that enables you to do these really cool polls and questions in your community. And polls and questions are how you get a conversation started. doesn't matter if you're at a dinner party or in an online community. Ask a great question, you're going to kick off some pretty cool connections. And we have the data that shows it's the number one thing that brings people back into a community to engage. And every community builder's fear is you have a party and nobody shows up, right? Like that is the fear, the false belief that we want to conquer. So in your checklist, you're going to see, hey, turn on this feature for polls and questions, but right next to it is a guide with over a thousand questions that you can just copy and paste and put in your community. So like that is a game changer for host because another false belief that people have about community is this is going to be really freaking hard. And so if we can show them, hey, we got you. It is easy if you have the right resources in place and the right team behind you in terms of the mighty team, it makes a huge difference. I love that. And you're reducing the friction the entire time by improving the onboarding program. Earlier you had talked about like you have basically this, your own mighty networks, you're using it and things like that. So that's definitely part of your stack, which has to be a big building block, especially on that kind of low tier, right? For freemium all the way up to the paid. But I guess like when we think about the broader stack, right, the big building blocks, which kind of hold all of it together, what would you say are the big parts of your stack? I mean, I know you have a sales CRM and things like that, but what's kind of holding this all together and how's your stack kind of built? Yeah, for sure. So we had a big website migration just over a year ago, and I'm sure we could nerd out on it, but we we moved from WordPress to Uh Contentful. (laughs) Yeah. WordPress was a journey and we did that. We were optimizing really for speed, speed of our website. We wanted a lightning fast site. You know, we have a lot of mobile traffic. We saw Google penalizing our our SEO impact because our site was too slow. So we ripped the bandaid off and moved to Contentful and we have a fantastically fast website right now, which has made a big difference. Also built on Gatsby. And that has been great. SEO is a really important channel for us. So we monitor performance because you know your, your content can be fantastic. And ultimately, we're focused on writing fantastic articles that add value and show up in search engine results. But if your page speed load is crappy, Google doesn't care how good your content is, which I totally get. So we optimize for that. And our website delivers a ton of things, right? It delivers lead capture, it delivers sales from our, our sales funnel. So it's obviously a super critical piece of our, our stack. And then in the website and in product, we use StatSig for experimentation. I am logging into that every day. 
And what we love about that is that it shows us longitudinally the impact of experiments. So we can have an experiment running on the website through into the product, through into a purchase that might happen 14 to 28 days after they start a free trial. And that has been great to really understand the impact and not decide experiments on kind of like surface level data. It's like, oh, great, this drove a ton of free trials, but maybe those were the wrong trials and they aren't ultimately going to convert. So StatSig is key. Yeah. Now, are you measuring all that in StatSig or is there another analytics product? Because like, it's a long timeline from like sign up to maybe buy an enterprise plan. So is there another tool that you're measuring those tests at at a later time? Yeah, we sometimes do ad hoc analysis. So we um, use Snowflake and our BI tool is Looker. We have a great data analytics team. So we are running ad hoc analysis as well. For a lot of our experiments, they take time for sure because it is a longer trial period, longer consideration period. So things can take time to get to statistical significance, but we definitely have other tools outside of just like refreshing StatSig to get some insights into how things are working. And I personally also use Google Analytics frequently just to kind of get directionally like what's happening on our website, what's happening in our community. We can see our community on Google Analytics, which is really helpful. Now, I noticed when I was doing some research on your stack, you also are using uh, Segment. So I'm going to assume Segment, is that powering things like Google Analytics and sending data to Snowflake, or how is that set up? We are on our Segment journey. So Segment is relatively new for us. I've used it at other companies, so was definitely championing and championing it for Mighty because I've seen how fantastic it can be to have that singular customer record especially for marketing attribution of the full path to purchase. It is connected to our Google Analytics. We're getting some really interesting data, um, but we have n- we're still working on the full integration to be able to query it and get all the, the information my, my marketer's heart desires. But I'm really excited about the potential there. And of course, Segment makes it so much easier to plug in other things to your tech stack, which is also a huge win for us. So you talked about StatSig, you're leveraging that to do the experimentation and drive people into the funnel. Sounds like your website, of course, you mentioned Contentful and Gatsby, the lead capture is happening on that. And then, of course, people may sign up for the product. But I guess like once I sign up for the product or maybe I become a lead catcher, where does my lead go? And then like, what happens to me? Lead capture right now, we're sending you some really great materials through Braze, which is our email service provider. Braze does a lot more. I'd say we're also a little bit at the beginning of the journey there, but we're starting to integrate Braze with Segment. So we're getting lots of great product events in Braze that we're excited to action off of. But for our leads, we're focused on getting you in this awesome educational flow and actually driving you, not necessarily to start a free trial, but to join Mighty Community, right? Again, that like, Education first, longer purchase cycle. We want you in our community, and maybe it's going to take you a few months to actually start a free trial, but we are excited to have you there and teach you how to make the most of it when you do. And then if they start a free trial, they're going into our internal database, and there's a ton we can see as they they go through that process there. Now, I mean, when you think about like Braze, right, a lot of cases that's a B2C tool, right? It's super powerful, does mobile, does web, does all the things, right? Really, really cool tool. I think it does mobile maybe better than web in some cases. But as a, as a sales lead, right, like Braze is not a place where I can go as a salesperson to do stuff, right? So how does that happen? 
Yeah, we use a CRM called Copper, which has been in place for a while. And I, you know, I'm sure as our business evolves, we may go to like a Salesforce or something larger. But for our team now, it's been pretty great in terms of following up with opportunities. It works with Braze in that we can connect it and like fire off emails if they haven't booked a demo yet, all of that stuff. But the data around the sales customers is in Copper as they're going through that process. Let's talk about Copper. It was super interesting to me that a company the size of Mighty Networks is using Copper as their CRM. I asked Jane about that, and for her team, it seems to work. This is what she had to say. So the sales team is not on the marketing team, but I've been in these discussions with them because we share a lot of the same tech stack. And a lot of it comes down to the leanness of like our implementation and engineering. We would rather have them really focused on the product and building that out than trying to like integrate a... CRM. But in a typical situation, as your company gets larger, you're going to want to upgrade your CRM. Copper is a great way to start out. But as your stack grows, the integration capabilities just aren't there with Copper. You're going to wind up with an insane amount of zaps connecting all of your tools and it just starts to get super messy. There's a reason so many of the big companies have HubSpot or Salesforce as their CRM. For any tool, you should assess what you need from it now and what you may need from it in the future. Tool migrations, especially CRMs, can be a huge task and a bit of a headache and completely slow the growth of your company. Although it might be necessary at times, if you're smart with your stack, you can keep those headaches limited. If you really want to learn more about how to future-proof your stack, go check out my interview with Casey Armstrong, the CMO of ShipBomb from a few weeks back. All right, back to Jane. You have this B2C stack, and lack of a better way of saying it, with Mighty Networks and Braze and Segment tracking all this stuff. And then it sounds like there's automation to get those enterprise people from kind of the B2C funnel into the B2B funnel, right? And sales is managing that somewhere else. Now, I'm interested, you know, I noticed in your stack you have products still like Zendesk and Intercom and things like that. Are those being used by marketing at all, or are those just simply a customer success function? They're more customer success, customer advocacy. We were using Intercom. We, when I joined Mighty about a year and a half ago, we were using Intercom and MailChimp for those B2C emails. So we were using Intercom for drip emails and MailChimp for like kind of one-off blast emails. And it was incredibly unwieldy and just the right hand did not know what the left hand was doing. So one of my goals coming in was let's find an ESP that can do both and consolidate And that has been great. So Intercom now is more for the customer advocacy, the one-on-one communications, and then Zendesk is our our help center. And we offer support to everybody, um, but in Intercom, we're mostly talking to our our host, our paying customers. And then in Zendesk, if somebody wants to like submit a ticket, typically it's like a member of a community on Mighty Networks who is getting stuck, and so we offer help that way for them. So kind of two different streams. And then our, our help center FAQs hosted on, on Zendesk. For us, in terms of the B to, to B and B to C, I would say there are some pain points in terms of like, how do we really connect those two things to each other? And I think segment ultimately, once we have it fully in place, will be fantastic for, for that holistic view of the customer. 
Yeah, and Segment is an extremely, extremely powerful tool and can be difficult to roll out. It's not a, when you switch your stack model to like point solution integration to then having a CDP as the data pipeline, it changes like everything and how you think about it. So uh, definitely good luck in that journey. I know it's not an easy one. It takes a long time, but it sounds like you're re-architecting a lot of the stack and you're changing a lot of things. Were there certain challenges that you were facing or problems or walls you were hitting and that's why you're doing a lot of this uh, kind of re-architecting? Yeah, absolutely. So one was marketing attribution, path to purchase, tail as old as time, but wanting to really understand where our customers were coming from, especially as we're running paid ads, right? We don't want to pay for things that aren't working. And when you just have a limited view into what ultimately is like a pretty long path to purchase, consideration, trial period, becomes really difficult to make good decisions. So that was one reason I think another was just becoming more sophisticated in our team and our capabilities. You know, I was the first marketing leader officially at Mighty, so kind of had the opportunity to evaluate everything, you know, with using MailChimp and Intercom and say like, hey, what would actually help us move faster, even if there's a little bit of an investment up front? And then it goes back to that, that OODA loop, right? Like speed to learning is critical. So whenever we are looking at something and we're like, I think this could help us learn faster, even what doesn't work, there's an interest there. And I think ultimately that drove segment because when you think about what's going to help you learn, if you have that single record of every customer, you start to see the possibilities pretty clearly. Yeah, it's definitely like you need to architect the stack so that way you can see all the touch points because there's a lot of different ones. And it sounds like marketing attribution was a, is a big focus of yours. I guess like what I'm curious about is like it sounds like you're spending a bunch of money on ads. Maybe I'm incorrect, but you're not correctly attributing them. I mean, is the goal to make it so that like you can pull your cost data down out of Google AdWords and put that in Snowflake and then take your conversion data maybe out of segment and then put Looker on top of that? Is that the vision or is there a different way you're thinking about it? Yeah, definitely being able to query segment data in Looker. And, you know, we have all those ad sources flowing into segment. So having segment flowing into to Snowflake and Looker and being able to run queries and build dashboards off of everything. For me, it's really how the different marketing touch points work together, which I'm, I'm most interested in. So, you know, we can see, oh, you came in on a free trial and you came from a search for like community and then you converted like we can see that piece of the puzzle but did you watch our youtube ad did you like follow us on twitter you, you know what i mean like what are these steps that went into that knowing that people say you know and, and again going back to talking to our customers you know we've asked our customers like how did you get here and how long did it take you and typically they say they first heard about mighty several months to several years before taking the plunge. So there is some rich opportunities in that time span that I want to tap into. Now, would you say that that is your goal is to get multi-touch attribution and show kind of ROAS across all of those things? Or are you more focused on the journey attribution or the content attribution? What is the attribution of content they see? Or is it all of the above, I guess? It's kind of all of the above. And, you know, I work really closely with our finance team, our VP of finance, our growth analyst. And so I think they might have a different answer in terms of ROAS, <laughs> if that's what we want. But of course, I'm interested in that too. I will say ultimately, we have learned as we've invested more in community and education that our organic channels, whether that is Mighty Community or even YouTube, like educational content on YouTube you know, there's a cost there to like producing it and making it look great. But that 
does more for us than most paid advertising. So we have definitely shifted budgets dramatically in the last year to things that are maybe not as obvious as like a paid search for somebody searching how to build an online course, but actually work better for us in the long term. Because during that six months to years when people are thinking about this, they're consuming a lot of content. They're doing a lot of research around it. So the content journey is really interesting to me because I want to support them at every step, every question. So you're headed in this direction. You're going to re-architect the stack. You know, you are focused a lot, of course, on this marketing attribution, multi-touch attribution, getting to ROAS. And I love something that you really, really said, which was the experimentation to get speed on learning, right? So it sounds like there's a lot of a learning focus and things that you are testing that are helping you kind of understand how to better drive the business. I guess like when you think about all of those learnings, right? Like are there certain learnings that you've gotten most recently that have helped you push the business forward? Are there certain learnings that you've been like, we're never going to do that again, right? Like what has happened? For sure. Yeah, a couple interesting ones. You know, I mentioned the the education in product has been huge. One that was really interesting was how much do we lean into the competitive set, which, you know, it's a competitive market. Mighty was first to market, but there's certainly other people talking about community, providing different community platforms. And so we've tried some small things, right? Like, do we get really specific on the website around this is us and these are, you know, other competitors and we have these features and they don't. And does that help somebody create a free trial and purchase because they're like, oh, cool, I was like looking at that thing, but I can see Mighty so much better. And so we, our test was like, let's be really specific and let's be really generic, right? So let's say, hey, here's Mighty compared to five specific competitors. Here's Mighty compared to an all-in-one platform, an online course platform, stuff like that. And I was team, let's be specific. Let's call them out. Like, right? That, that was my, my hypothesis is let's be like, you're looking at Facebook groups. Here's why Mighty is better. And actually, interestingly, the generic did better on our features page where we have a comparison chart. And now I think it's because we were putting ideas in people's heads, right? And being generic as the market has grown also helped us capture any possible competitor, right? We didn't have to think of five. We could say, here's how Mighty compares to a chat app. And if you're considering Slack, if you're considering Discord, if you're considering Geneva, WhatsApp, Telegram, it's all there and we don't have to list them all out. So that was an interesting learning and really has changed how I've thought about like when to get specific and when to stay generic in these, this competitive uh, messaging, conquesting messaging. Yeah, it's almost analysis paralysis. And then it's also at the same time, you're like, hey, listen, maybe you should choose one of our competitors, okay? You should go check them out. And like for me, it's like we're in the consideration phase. This is not the time to be bringing in our competitors, guys. Exactly. But you know, when it, when it is the time... And, and I guess I'm giving away secrets here, but it's not that mind blowing. What it is the time for us is when they're really searching. Like there are so many mighty versus mighty versus searches. So we try to have a presence there and be really specific if somebody has indicated to us that they are comparing two specific platforms. 
No, and that makes a lot of sense. And there's actually, I'll give you a little sneaky tip that I used to do for a very large video company. Uh, when you sign up to uh, a company, I can't say their name because this was under NDA, but the video hosting platform that everybody knows who they are, uh, when you sign up for their platform, they use a technographic service to tell what other video hosting companies are already on your website. And then secretly, all of their emails now change to focus on the competitive advantage of those other products, but never once mention them. So if this company was competing against YouTube, they saw that YouTube was on your site, they would then highlight the features that they have in their onboarding sequence that YouTube is not going to be able to do uh, because they understand that competitive intelligence, but they never once told you, compare us to YouTube. And I was like, that was one of my favorite projects I did like eight years ago. So... Uh, Steal that one for your book. Now, interesting, you know, I love the speed to learning. I love how you're doing all this experimentation. And you definitely have an amazing background that gives you the experience to know to do these things. I guess, like, you talked about some of the challenges that you had while building the stack, marketing attribution, multi-touch, things like that. I mean, what would be the top three recommendations you would give other marketers out there that are either building their stack or thinking about swapping something out or any of the things? Yeah. One, think about what plays nicely with others. And... You know, Segment is a great example. It does not have to be that level of investment. Zapier is another great option. But ultimately, if you have customer data in multiple places and you're not able to easily link it together, you're going to miss opportunities to communicate effectively and move them up that value ladder, right? It doesn't stop once you get them in one place. You always want to start fresh. You usually can't, but like, if you are able to, thinking about long-term, not just what's new and shiny, but like, is it going to play nicely with others, is really critical. The other more general thing I think about is spend time in your tools as much as possible, especially anything that's about analytics. You know, I think at the SVP level, I'm thinking a lot about strategy and I'm relying on a lot of members of my team to bring me information and they are fantastic at it and they have awesome observations and I love getting weekly reports. But ultimately, if I don't carve out time to go into StatSig, to go into Google Analytics, to look at our Looker dashboards, to look at our braze, like our email numbers, I, I could miss things and I feel like I don't have my finger on the pulse as much. So getting in a regular habit around like looking at your stack I think is, is really beneficial and I know has helped me. And I think my third recommendation is to look at companies the same size as you and that you admire and what are they using and how does it fit together? And I've reached out to people on LinkedIn that I don't know and just been like, hey, we're doing something similar. You know, we're not competitors, but like, I feel like you're talking to a similar audience. I feel like you kind of have a similar value prop. I would love to just know a little bit about have you tried this tool? Like what's been your experience? And people are usually more than willing to either complain <laughs> or champion, <laughs> which is really helpful. People love to talk about tools, right? It's hysterical to me that like we've gotten to the point in technology and in marketing that like we no longer talk about the branding or the logo or the content. We're like, let's talk about the tools. And if you ask anybody about tools, they have an opinion, they're gonna share it. So I think you're spot on there. This is a great tip that Jane brought up. Check out what your competitors are using in their stack. You can do this easily by visiting stackbuilder.com and just entering in their domain. It will spit out what tools they have and even tell you how much they are probably spending on their stack. No, I'm not telling you to copy your competitors, but I am telling you to use them for inspiration. 
And on top of that, look at bigger companies similar to you so you can gauge what you might be doing in the future when you reach that size. Heck, you can even reach out to these mops people at those companies by joining communities like marketingops.com and get tips and tricks or even learn from their pitfalls. By speaking with others, you can find out what works and what doesn't and use that information to better inform your stack. This will help make sure you make less mistakes. And please don't be one of those people who is afraid to ask for help and won't collect feedback on your ideas before rolling them out. All right, back to Jane. Naturally, you work at a MarTech company, in my opinion, right? You are part of the stack. When you think about the predictions of the stack in the next five or 10 years, right? How do you see the way that we think about the stack and the way things are going to change and what's really going to be like the future for us? Yeah, great question. The best business to build in 2022 with economic uncertainty, people like looking at their discretionary spending is a community. Like it is not selling a physical product. It is not drop shipping. It is not like one of these weird like print on demand services. If you are a creator or entrepreneur, community is absolutely the best business to build. It is more resilient. You can actually impact your members, like bring real results and transformation to them that they are going to keep paying for. It moves you from discretionary to essential spending. And they are the best way for people to also navigate really like scary, uncertain times. You want to be with people. You want to be solving problems with people. You want to be moving towards your goals with people. So my prediction for the future of the stack is that community is going to become an essential part of the stack for every business because it is ultimately like how they will be successful as the world continues to cycle and spin more rapidly. This has been really, really awesome. You're a gift to be able to have on this uh, podcast, so I really do appreciate it. Thanks so much for being able to uh, help us all learn a little bit more and as well as good luck with everything going on at Mighty. Thank you. I had a great time. Appreciate it. Jane was a great guest, and I recommend you checking out Mighty Networks. It's a really cool tool, and it was interesting to learn how much of their platform is built into their own stack. So let's go over a few of the highlights from this episode. First, we talked a bit about the OODA loop. OODA being Orient, Observe, Decide, Act. It's a great framework to help you and your team run experiments to improve your customer's experience and conversion rates. The second thing I want to highlight is how Jane is using that OODA loop to increase learnings. Learnings are typically an overlooked thing in most companies. Listen, I run a very successful funnel experimentation practice at maga.io, and even I have over 70% of the experiments fail to increase the conversion. What I do get 100% of the time, though, is learnings, and this is one of the most valuable things we get from running an experiment. As mentioned earlier, if you need help taking those learnings and then turning them into your testing prioritization framework, check out viceframework.com. The last thing I want to review is community resilience. Obviously, this is a major talking point for Mighty, given that they're a community tool, but it is really worth highlighting. In uncertain economic times, having a community is going to be a big help for keeping your ship afloat. One of our four primary drivers as a human who has evolved over millions of years is a need to belong to a community or a group of people. Another one of those four drivers is personal growth and learning. So building a community where people can find both of those things is super, super sticky and some of the best marketing you could ever do. To learn more about the four human drivers, check out the book Driven by Daniel Pink. It's a really, really good read and I promise you it'll help you in your day to day. Well, that's enough of learning for now. Join me next week on The Stack. Because you're interested in the podcast, naturally, the next step is to get a free copy of my book at buildcoolshit.com. 
Thanks for checking us out. Hope you leave that review and also click that subscribe button and I'll see you next week. Thank you.